It's often at this time of year that many wildlife centres across the UK begin to see a rapid rise in calls from members of the public. Often it can be because they have found what they think is an abandoned orphan. You know, that small chick in the garden that's fallen out of a nest or even a, a small deer that seems to be left on its own by its parents. And of course, they simply want to do the right thing and save it. Join me with Simon Cowell, the founder of Wildlife Aid, based in Leatherhead, who talks about excellent advice on dealing with just this situation and takes us on a tour of the centre. Simon, tell me a little bit about the Wildlife Aid Foundation. I have nothing to say. I've been doing it too long. It's awful. No, it's wonderful. (laughs) Um, It started in 1980. We became a charity in 87, and it obviously grew stage by stage. We never intended to grow. It was supposed to be a little hobby, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger until now we deal with 20,000 wildlife incidents a year. That, that's a huge number. Is there a sort of predominant feature to that, you know, particularly hedgehogs or badgers, or, or is it just generally everything? Uh, it's pretty general. Obviously, garden birds are probably our most prolific, and pigeons. Um, but we can cope with that now because we have 300 volunteers. Without their dedication, we would be standing still in the water. I mean, so we, we staff literally from 9 in the morning until 10 at night, and then we do 24-hour call-outs as well, so we are literally 24-7. Golly, and um, where do you get all your funding from to do this? It must take quite a lot to run a uh, set-up like this. I, every year we get to the end of the year, and I think this year we won't make it. It's not going to happen. Um, I've no idea where the money comes from. It comes in dribs and drabs. I mean, every single pound helps, but it's very hard to fund it. It costs us about £1,000 a day to run this place, and yet at the end of the year so far, and we're now on year 35, we've managed to get enough in just about scrimping and saving to do it. We're very lucky as well because our vets here... Um, all work free of charge. They give of their time free of charge. Without that, that would be another probably £50,000 a year easily. That is amazing, I have to say, and I do admire the work. And I understand um, you've got Lucy Kells here. I'm the hospital manager of Wildlife Aid. How long have you been involved with Wildlife Aid? Uh, it's almost my five-year anniversary. It will be in a, a few, uh, literally a few weeks' time. And how did you come across Wildlife Aid? What made you come here? I've loved wildlife all my life and always wanted to work with wildlife. Um, I watched Wildlife SOS for many, 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 many years. And I was watching the the previous series and thought I'd have a look on the website. I hadn't looked for a while and then saw the job advertised. So um, I just went for it. (laughs) And, well, you must really enjoy working here, clearly. Yeah, a little bit insane, I think. Um, you have to be, but yeah, it's um, it's very, very hard work, very long hours, tiring, but it's every little bit is worth it, just helping the wildlife. Uh, I'm Jonathan Frost. Uh, I'm one of the veterinary surgeons that comes and volunteers here. Uh, this is kind of what I do in my spare time, so on my days off from work, I come here and help out. Uh, and what do you normally do for work? I'm... Uh, I- generally work with cats and dogs uh, in the Dorking area um, and that's what I do most of the time and this is just something I do to help out it's good fun Uh, the team's really good fun and you see really interesting things and uh, so this is a bit of a contrast to what you do normally clearly yes I I've always enjoyed working with exotics and wildlife and stuff like that and then I kind of found this and dropped Lucy an email and said do you have space for anyone to help out and she said yes, and I've been here about six months. We can't get rid of him. 
Oh, quite new then. So tell me, in that six months, um, probably maybe the most unusual animal that you've had to help in some way? Um, the most interesting case that I've had to deal with was a duck that swallowed some fishing hooks. Um, that wasn't a very pleasant one, unfortunately. And unfortunately, some people, when they go fishing, don't tidy up after themselves, which can be a real issue for pretty much any wildlife. Um, but we do see some, we just see swans, deer, uh, badgers are always interesting. Foxes are good fun. So it's and, a, and a cheeky little robin, I see, that's yes. <laughs> just hopping very close by. How lovely. So, uh, Simon, I understand you're going to take us on a, a little walk. And, we're going to have a quick tour. We're, beg- we're going what we call into silly season any minute now. This is the season when all the orphans are born. So there's an awful lot. We, we haven't really hit the season yet. It's due to start any time now. It's just coming in in dribs and drabs. But within a few months, the hospital will be heaving everywhere. So we have over 600 to 1,000 patients here at that time of year. But what we do have is also we have closed-circuit TV everywhere because we don't want to get any of the patients imprinted. We don't want to get them used to people. So we can watch them on cameras, and then we only interfere if we really have to. Off we go, then. We're in the orphan unit, and there are two adorable little creatures here. Right, you can hear that noise. What do you think that is, listeners? Well, that was right on cue, wasn't it? It was. Uh, That's very well timed. These are our two first fox cub orphans of the year. Um, they came in because they got separated from their mother. We find we get a lot of calls every year. People pick things up too quickly. We're not saying don't pick them up, ignore them. But what we're saying is just providing it's not in mortal danger or it's not bedraggled or it's not looking like death, just leave it for half an hour. For instance, fox cubs are often moved by their parents and they'll often move some of the cubs, drop them off halfway, then go and get the rest, and, you know, it'll be a bit of a scale. So if you can, just sort of leave them for an hour or so to see if mum comes back to get them. It happens with a, with, a, with a lot of babies. I mean, people just rush to pick up. If they just spent 30 seconds ringing us first, asking for advice, we'll tell them what to do so they can monitor the situation. That, that is such a curious noise. It reminds me of hyenas in Africa. Yes, a bit smaller than us hyena though probably not not at this age um they're really cute we keep this unit at 60 degrees we have infrared heating all the way around it we have thermostats all the way around and more importantly we have closed circuit television on every single pen so we don't want to get the animals imprinted or or humanized which is awfully easy to do we're very good at not doing it but we've got 34 years experience so we watch them on cameras we only interfere if we have to and we only go in and feed them as and when we have to very quickly and out again it makes it obviously uh, much easier to return them back to the wild then yeah it is i mean that that is, that is our our vital piece of work you know it's sort of the slogan for you is get them in get them treated get them out in the case of orphans you can't You've, they're going to be with us for probably three or four months if they're fox cubs and probably nine or ten months if they're badger cubs and that what they mustn't do in that time is get them imprinted so we tend to break contact as soon as they finish hand feeding they come out here there's not people in here very often fed watered and out we go again what sort of thing would you normally feed fox cubs on at this age they're literally just being weaned from a special milk onto sort of soft food moosey type food so it'll be a dog food to be honest i mean we go in the winter we go through fifteen thousand cans of dog food just for our our overwintering hedgehogs my so, word so that's 
you know, an awful lot of dog food. Hedgehogs are with us for about 120 days. They all eat at least half a can of food a day. And it's amazing how quick it goes down. So there's a lot of expense in feeding as well. These will go on to, obviously, dog food and things later on. And then if we do get roadkill, if, if something comes in and it's dead on arrival, we will give it to the fox cubs so they learn what, what, what real prey is all about. They need to learn how to go back to the wild. Um, and how old would these be generally when you return them back to the wild? These will be about four to five months old when they go back to the wild. The difference between releasing an adult back to the wild, where we obviously release where we found it, providing it's suitable habitat, with orphans we tend to release back into rural areas, obviously, in tiny groups so they don't overpopulate. And we give them what's called a soft release, so we, we will build them a house enclosed in a pen, um, and they will stay in that pen for a month while they get used to their surroundings. Other wildlife will come in and sniff them, so you begin to get some sort of acceptance. And then we take the pen down, and then they're out in the wild doing their own thing. But we supplement feed them all the time we have to. Right, so it's not just as straightforward as taking them in a box or a crate or something and releasing them immediately. No, that, that would really, that would probably would mean their death. So, you know, they're called what we call soft-release. Orphans are soft-release. Adults are obviously hard-release, straight out and no contact again. Brilliant. Oh, well, thanks for showing me these cute little creatures. They're so amazing. How anybody could hurt them in any way, I don't know. Um, so where are we going to next? We will go and see another patient, and I won't tell you what it is until we see it. OK, lovely. Now, we're in the orphan feeding room. Um, we're actually looking at Lucy's favourite creatures, which are baby squirrels, grey squirrels, obviously. I think the squirrel is much maligned, to be honest. Um, everybody blames the grey squirrel for killing the red. They didn't. The red squirrel was susceptible to um, squirrel pox, which greys aren't. And to be honest, I went down filming last year to the Isle of Wight to see red squirrels, and that's a completely red squirrel secure area, um, and I only saw two. So red squirrels don't do that well anyway in, in the UK nowadays because all the woodland's wrong. So um, I came up with an interesting fact the other day as well because we obviously do so much damage with our diggers and our road buildings. You think a squirrel probably buries at least one nut a day. So you take the squirrel population, multiply that to the number of nuts a day, and just say that 1% of those trees are in the right place and survive. Trawls, squirrels do more to put trees back in this country than man does interesting fact thank you for that that's very educational and uh, i'm learning an awful lot lucy tell me about these adorable i've just seen them these little tiny baby squirrels how old are they for a start um these two are two weeks old um we've got uh, another batch as well that are about four weeks old um ironically just following on from what simon was saying just then i would say nine times out of ten we get baby squirrels brought in because people cut their trees down and that's another thing the grey squirrel is criticised for is the destruction of trees because they chew the bark and yet that's how we get them in yes, because it's actually us that's destroying yes. their trees. So um, it's a bit of irony there. But, um, yeah, we, we do have very good success rates. We're lucky enough that we have a licence that enables us to release them, um, which is very good as well. Really pleased to have that. So where did these two actually come from? Um, these were brought in, they were actually disturbed when um, some roofers were working. So um, they were disturbed. We gave the chance for the mother to come back, but she didn't come back. So they're all from Surrey area. Okay, and so what sort of age would you return these back into the wild? 
Well, once they're weaned, um, we move them to an outdoor aviary. And then when they hit about 16 to 18 weeks old, that's when we let them go. We'll do a soft release via a, um, a nest box that we put up in a tree for them. And I, I can see here um, you've got some lovely volunteers with little pipettes carefully, carefully feeding them. What would they um, feed on generally as they get a little bit older? Well, as soon as they're weaned, as soon as their eyes open, really, um, we start the process of weaning. And we start them with some like things like baby rusk biscuits, um, breakfast cereals, before we can then start them on things like nuts and fruits as they get a little bit older. Um, and then once they're in the aviaries, they're, they're literally eating everything a wild squirrel would eat. So, I mean, this time of year, would you normally get quite a lot of baby squirrels? It depends on really the the amount that get injured. Um, obviously, we have to stay within the boundaries of our license. Um, some years we will get very few in the spring. We tend to get more in the second because they have two litters a year: one in the in the spring and one in the autumn. And it seems that the autumn babies, I think, that's when people are cutting down more trees. Um, but yeah, we uh, we're certainly lucky to have that license, and we keep well within the boundaries of that. How many babies would they normally have? Um, how many they have naturally in the wild? Yeah. They can have up to sort of six or seven babies. Um, and the is, is there a particular name for a baby squirrel? There is. It's called a kitten. Oh, sweet! I didn't know that. <laughs> That's lovely. I love. Learned another new fact today. Brilliant. <laughs> Oh, I, so baby squirrels are called. That should be a, a wildlife aid competition question, shouldn't it? Absolutely, there's all sorts of questions we could ask. A lot of them aren't, aren't even aren't even serve, serve on radio. I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm so thank you so much for showing me the baby squirrels. They're just amazing. They're definitely my favourite. Yeah, I, I can see it's probably quite easy to get attached to them. <laughs> well, the best thing about rearing them is that you can be fairly hands-on within reason. But as soon as they're weaned, they forget that you've handled them at all and they're just completely wild. So um, oh, That's great. So they don't really imprint on you. Um, you it is possible to do. Um, so we obviously are very careful. But, yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to handle one once it's weaned. Um, Lucy, we've got, I believe, a baby dove here. Tell me a little bit about him. That's right. This time of year we get an awful lot of collared doves brought in. Um the, the collared dove as a species is native to India, and although they weren't introduced to the UK, they, they've flown here themselves. Um, there aren't enough hours of sunlight at this time of year, and there are, there are species that breed all year round. So what we find at this time of year is that a lot of the babies are struggling with a lack of calcium. There's not enough sunlight for them to metabolise the calcium. And so if you see a collared dove youngster sitting on the ground, very sort of lethargic and quiet... The feathers may be full length, but they'll still be in their kind of sheaths that they're in when they're first coming through. Um, and they are babies that really do need rescuing. We've currently got about 24 of them in at the hospital at the moment. Golly, um, do you have to give them special vitamin D supplements or calcium supplements? Spot on. That's exactly what we give them, vitamin D and calcium. And within a few days, they're doing so much better, like this little guy you can see here. But just in a few days, it makes that much difference. It's that fast, yeah. Within five days, we find that we're able to stop it. They're walking around, they start preening themselves properly, and they've got more strength. I didn't know, I have to say, that they bred all year round. So that must make it quite difficult for them. It really is. You need it, you need somebody to teach them, really, that this time of year is a bad time to, to breed. But um, unfortunately, nobody's told them that. Oh, he's very cute. And uh, tell me, what's the name for a baby collared dove? 
uh, baby collared dove is known as a dovelet, which I think is actually a really cute name. So yeah, that's that's almost as cute as kittens <laughs> for squirrels. Very lovely. I can see that this job must be incredibly rewarding. It is. I mean, especially when you get them in as young as this and you've nursed them through. Um, so many people will help. We all sort of club together helping in our own ways. Obviously, the veterinary team with the medications, um, Simon and the rescue team that will go and rescue them in the first place. And then the volunteers that will feed and clean and care for them. And then we get to release them and everybody's a part of that, which is just amazing. Do you know how old he is? Um, he's probably two or three weeks old. They grow very, very quickly. Um, and he will be probably in the next week or two ready to go to the aviary. It's really that fast for them when they're growing up. Gosh, that's quite quick. Brilliant. So And so rewarding to actually see them make such a good recovery so quickly. Yes, certainly. I mean, if you had a look at our outdoor aviary, you'll see all the ones that we've, we've done so far. I mean, they're, they're, I think there's about 15 outside almost ready to go. Brilliant. Um, and so do you have to feed them with pipettes and things like you do the squirrels? When they're this age, we feed them with a syringe and a piece of tubing um, because the mother would feed them regurgitated seed, which obviously we don't really want to do. So we have a special um, formula that we give them. And as soon as they hit um, a few weeks on from that, they will start feeding themselves some uh, millet and seed. And once they're feeding themselves, we can move them to the aviary where they can just carry on eating until they're ready to go. I can see why everybody loves working here so much. We've come back outside now. There are sort of lots of cages in rows, uh, some of them with residents in. Uh, Simon, tell me what this is. Well, you can just see the back end of this one. He's obviously sleeping because it's daytime, which is one clue. Um, And I'm not going to hold him because it would really hurt, so that's the other clue. So it's a hedgehog. Um, We've overwintered about 100 hedgehogs this year, uh, which weren't big enough to go back to the wild. Again, you know, if you do find hedgehogs late on in the year, in sort of October, November, and they're very small... They will die. They will not survive hibernation. They have to be over 600 grams to survive the winter. So they come into us if they're only two or 300 grams. We overwinter them. We keep them up at 60 degrees. Otherwise, they'd hibernate. Um, but now they're obviously hardening off, ready to go back out to the wild. So these are all probably last year's orphans. Um, they go back to the wild within the next month or so, to be honest. I remember seeing an interesting fact on your website about hedgehogs and how much they've decreased over the last few years. Tell me a little bit about that. We're running the Save Harry campaign, which is, I think, vitally important. And the hedgehog really is the sort of flag bearer for all British wildlife. In the 50s, there were 30 million hedgehogs in the country. We're now down to about a million. Uh, That's a staggering decline. It's terrifying. And, you know, by 2025, we believe there will be urban extinction. Obviously, rurally, they'll still be here. You, You will have hedgehogs. But not to see them in the towns anymore is quite sad. And it's sadly... I think 99.999 reoccurring, um, it's because of mankind. It's their cars, it's poisons, it's slug baits, it's all the things that that, that man does and their habitats disappearing as well. Um, and they are iconic British mammal, really, and the most uncontroversial. Exactly, yeah. So they're beautiful. So I'm, I'm really sad about it. But, I mean, all British wildlife's in trouble. I get on my soapbox at this sort of time, really, because I believe... I mean, the food chain is what keeps us all alive, and that includes man. If the food chain breaks, then mankind will will actually be probably one of the first species to go extinct, which is pretty terrifying. But the food chain's vital. We rely on the food chain. It's been here, you know, the planet's been here for five billion years. Um, We need to keep it intact. In the last hundred years, we've done more damage than is imaginable to our wildlife populations and to our habitat. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. Tell me... 
the whole thing about hedgehogs, you know, there's forever a debate with people what you feed hedgehogs on. Because I remember as a youngster being told it was bread and milk. Clearly that isn't the case. What would your advice be to people? When you're feeding any wild animal, like when you're rescuing a wild animal, you've got to think like that animal. So if you just think what that would eat in the wild, that's what it needs to eat when, when you find one. So never milk, because the only milk a hedgehog gets when it's a baby is special milk from its mother, which is nothing like the milk that we can give them. Um, and when it's adult, obviously dog food, cat food is okay. Um, and also biscuit is something hard because we don't want their teeth to get diseased, so they need something to crunch on as well. In the wild, they'll eat snails, snugs, in, snugs? snails, slugs. <laughs> Not heard of that one. No, it's, 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 it's a new species. Um, but so, you know, try to keep to that, that sort of recipe, really. And also what we do say, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I feed the foxes in my garden. We've learnt very quickly that it is the wrong thing to do. One shouldn't feed wildlife in the garden because it would become too reliant on man. It, it will forget to hunt if it's fed too regularly so we only feed in the wild if something's in trouble and for a short time just to give it that energy boost to give it the food it needs but i think everyday feeding people will shout at me for this don't feed your wildlife in your garden does that apply to birds you can feed birds obviously that's not so serious i mean birds don't need it in the summer to be honest the only i'm now going to do pet food companies out of millions of pounds they only need it in very harsh weather conditions but if you want to see them and, and enjoy them from a distance that's absolutely fine yeah so birds okay but other forms of wildlife don't feed them in your garden is the best no because i mean really. you might move away and suddenly their food supply just stops dead it's better to let wildlife do what it does. It survives so well without our interference, and it's only our interference that has caused all the problems. So let wildlife do its own thing. Brilliant. Uh, Simon, tell me, I've noticed you've got a, a compound there for deer. Tell me about that. We do. We do get deer in, obviously. We try not to have them in because we have predominantly roe deer in Surrey. And as Jono was saying earlier on, they suffer with uh, something called capture myopathy. So we try to treat on site and never bring them in at all. Occasionally we get fawns brought in, which is why we have these sheds particularly. But the trouble is with fawns, the adults will leave the fawns for some considerable time. They'll go away. They're never more than 100 yards away from them, probably, but you'll never see them. People walking with their dogs see a young fawn lying down, pick it up, think it's in trouble. Again, every instance we have is sort of a case-by-case scenario. But normally, just walk on, leave it, give us a call, and we will send somebody out to monitor it but it shouldn't come in, especially fawns. They're left for a long time. They're fed by their parents intermittently, and you know we try to keep them out there with the parents. It's much better for any small animal to be with its parents rather than with us. Yeah, I know. That's uh, something you've been saying predominantly throughout. So basically, if you're unsure at all, just leave it, and nine times out of ten, the parent will be not very far away. Absolutely. I mean, make the call make us aware because there might be an instance where we do need to interfere but leave it alone give us a call it'll take you a minute to make the call and you could save an animal coming in at all it must be a, a job of highs and lows working here in some respects yes we i mean you go from stages of having squirrel kittens in which are wonderful and very sweet and then unfortunately you do get some cases which are quite traumatic for the staff here um relatively recently we had a a fox that had been hit with a car and it had some quite bad neurological problems which weren't fixable unfortunately um the real severe downside to that was she was heavily pregnant Uh, this left us with a terrible scenario of we can't do much to save her but we could give the the fox cubs a chance and we took that chance 
and had to give the fox a cesarean, which is um, it's quite an extreme thing to be doing with her, with this. Uh, we managed to get five fox cubs out alive, uh, which which was great. But unfortunately, the whole trauma of of everything that had happened meant that they they weren't strong enough, and things just went slowly downhill, which was really quite horrible for us because we put so much effort into it, and it was just quite heartbreaking. Lucy, so I understand you were helping with the um, fox cesarean. That's right. There was myself and another veterinary nurse here that day, and we were trying to resuscitate the cubs. Um, it really was just like we were saying, highs and lows. I mean, it was an overwhelming emotion of happiness that we got them all through it. But like like Jono was saying, just gradually over the coming days, we, we did lose them. Um, and this is what this this job is all about. You have to just pick yourself up and keep going. You want to give up and go home and crawl into a corner but the next animal that comes in needs you and you know some of the stuff we see here is quite phenomenal I mean there's a duck that we've got in at the moment she's been shot um, she's still got gunshot pellets inside her um, but on top of that her knee has been completely destroyed but she's still walking it is just amazing it really is it's quite humbling what they go through in the wild and and just keep going with it that's obviously the good side and the good news story um how many people do you have working around here at any one time because it's it's quite a small confined space you've got here well there's a, a total of 300 volunteers um and that's because we're we're staffed really 24 7 um the volunteers are here from nine o'clock in the morning there's a, a team in each area and then we'll have another team during the day, another team in the evening. We've also got the rescue volunteers, um, people in reception, the veterinary team. So um, although we are looking like there's not many of us around, the actual team, if you gathered us all together, is is far too many to fit in one room. There's 300 of us, so that, that's a lot of volunteers. You say you do this on your time off. Yes. So how much time do you spend here on a day off? I... Um, I come here roughly once a week uh, and I'll be here from nine until six unless things get really manic and then end up staying later or some days if we're very, very lucky, it's quiet and not much is actually happening. Um, this happens more in the middle of winter when nothing's really around um, and then as spring and summer come along it gets busier um, and it's it's exciting. Yeah, I'm sure it's lovely. What a wonderful place to work. Thank you both very much. Lovely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the programme and the journey around the Wildlife Aid Foundation in Leatherhead. I, for one, have been overwhelmed by the hard work and dedication the entire team at Wildlife Aid put into supporting our wildlife. I'm not at all surprised that Simon Cowell was recently voted one of Surrey's local heroes. After 35 years of continued hard work, his enthusiasm for what he does continues to shine through. If you feel passionate about the future of British wildlife and love working with animals, if you want to find out more, you can do so on their website at www.wildlifeaid.org.uk or you can call them on 01372 377 with around 20,000 animals a year to support and a running cost of £1,000 a day, they're always in desperate need of fundraisers and volunteers. Pick up that phone, make that call or go and see them and see what you can do to help such a wonderful organisation that really is helping the future of our British wildlife. 